This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 8, Episode 24. I'm John DiCarlo, and we have the full house back again. Kyle Gauss, Javon Edmonds, Caden Steele. What's up, guys? How you doing? I'm in a great mood today. I think Javon is as well. Yeah, See, you know, I'm 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 employed. Uh Greg Roman is unemployed. <laughs> uh, you know, Larry Hogan is no longer the governor of the state of Maryland. See, you root for someone's unemployment. Um no I never but, talk about their man's job. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, Westmore is the first black governor of the state. My granddad was a fan of him before he passed. So good 48 hours. Here we go. Kyle, anything to add? No. No, not really. <laughs> it's turning into the Barry Gibb talk show. No, I don't. Uh, do you have anything to add? Um, famous, uh, well, uh, obviously we had a, a full show for you guys. Uh, a lot of basketball to talk about, a lot of football to talk about, a lot of mailbag questions to get to. Um, I, I do want to acknowledge, even before we get into the famous number 24s and the agenda of the day. Um, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. And um, if you're a Temple fan and you have been scouring social media, you might have seen the news, the unfortunate news that uh, former Temple middle linebacker Jared Alwan has passed away. We don't know many details there, but, you know, just wanted to, you know, pay tribute to someone who was really an important part of the program uh, coming out of Camden Catholic, a local kid from South Jersey, started as a True freshman in 2013 when Temple went on the road to play at Notre Dame. He had 51 tackles, five TFLs, and two sacks for that 2016 team that won the conference championship. And he had a career-high 74 tackles, uh, seven TFLs, and four, four, excuse me, four forced fumbles for the 2015 team. So just a, a really popular and beloved player on that team. So many people are weighing in now, Tyler Matakevich, P.J. Walker, Sean Bradley. Again, don't really know many details beyond that, but uh, – just a shame for a program that's that's had that's that's lost some players, you know. Right. So uh, just a real yeah. shame. Just wanted to just wanted to wish his family the best. He was always a, a great great player to talk to. Seemed really nice and really uh, was always great with his time with us. And just really, our hearts go out to his family. One of my uh, Jared Alwyn stories is the summer after he committed. So it's prior to Matt Rule's story, uh, Matt Rule's debut season, covering a recruiting camp and Jared Alwan, who had not taken a single snap at college yet was serving as one of the camp counselors. He had established himself in Matt Rule's mind in that short time to be intelligent enough of a football player and instinctive enough football player to essentially teach kids that were six months, 12 months, 18 months younger than him. So uh, probably one of the unsung heroes of those really great temple teams. He was a very good linebacker and yeah, echo what you say. It was always incredibly nice and, uh, generous with this time to the media. Yeah. So again, we're just, uh, uh, just going to pass that along to our listeners in case you hadn't heard the unfortunate news. And again, our hearts just go out to his family, his friends, and certainly all the people in the, in the temple football program who are, are mourning, uh, his passing right now. Famous number 24s guys. Say, Hey kid. Mm-hmm. Let Javon have the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, go ahead. I'm trying not to cry today. Go no. ahead. Uh, Marion Barber, Adrian Wilson, Namdi Asamoa. Those are three football players. I watched Namdi Asamoa was in The Good Nurse. I just watched that on Netflix the other day. Namdi Asamoa was in it. I was like, you son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> Toby Bryant. Yep. 
Thank you, Kyle. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. Yeah, Ken Griffey Jr. is another big one. Uh, Manny. Manny wore 24 with the uh, Red Barry Sox. Bonds? Barry Bonds was 25, wasn't he? I thought he wore 24. Did he wear 24 with the Pirates? Bonds wore 24 at some point. Oh, probably. He wore 24 with the he Pirates. He 25 right? with the Giants. 24 with the Pirates. Yeah. So he was 24 before uh, the HGH just bumped him up a number. <laughs> Ricky Henderson wore number 24, right? Ricky Henderson, we talked about this a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Wore 75 different numbers. Yeah. <laughs> Former flyer Matt Reed. That was one I kind of thought of. That was a long time ago, but I remember him on those flyer teams that I actually used to watch, but not anymore. But I looked up flyer stats this morning because I like, haven't seen a single second today. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know some of these names. Yeah, they're having a good week. Um, yeah, no, they're not because they should be losing. <laughs> Should be going 0 and 82. So <laughs> beyond that, they're, they're, uh, they're a mess. Throw some Let's, Zach, Hicks. Zach Hicks, number 24. Charles Woodson. Yeah, I don't know if that guy mentioned. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's good. Speaking hey, of. Hey, Bailey, um, we're 24. Yep, that's a good one. Yeah. What was that? Couldn't I hear you. Champ Bailey. Oh, Champ, okay. yeah. I think oh I saw a TikTok the other day where it was it was they were asking, it was like Madden asking Chad Ochocinco, like, oh, here are the, all the people that have ever been rated 99 on speed. Oh, yeah. uh, and I think Champ Baylor is one of them. Mm. Oh, Pac-Man Jones, we're talking for. Pac-Man. Pac-Man Jones. I saw good, I, Pac-Man Jones is, is boxing now, and I saw a good joke the other day that was like, why would I pay money to see a Pac-Man Jones fight when I can just go to any Cincinnati-based mall and see one every day? Like Pac-Man Jones <laughs> used to just get in blatant fights. Yes, he had an interesting life off the field. Uh, speaking of Zach Hicks and his Temple basketball team, we'll talk about them. Uh, again, got a lot of football updates for you, mailbag questions and the answers to them. So let's uh, let's let's talk about this this Temple basketball team. They obviously had the, the real tough loss to Memphis on the Kendrick Davis buzzer beater. They rebounded last night to BDCU 73-58 after getting off to a, a slow start, trailing by five at the half. So... Regardless of your feelings on this team, and again, they they certainly at times play an unwatchable brand of basketball and have had their struggles, but they're 11 and nine overall, tied for second place in the conference at five and two right now. Things get really, really tough, as tough as they can be on Sunday on the road against the top ranked team in the country at Houston. Um, guys, just general impressions from, from last night's game. You know, we, we can look at our Damian Dunn and Caleb Battle learning how to play better together. Um, other stuff to get into ahead of uh, Sunday, but what'd you take from, from last night, you know, Damian Dunn playing well, KB playing well, they clicked more in the second half. What was the difference in the second half? What'd you see? Uh, I think aside from that, like the, the, the former basketball player in me finds last night, last night's game funny. East Carolina came out there like just really hyped and extra physical and extra attitude for no reason just to squander a lead to a team that did not play good basketball and and and, and lose by double digits 73 to 58 to be exact so you know that just tickled me to see that uh you know that's how the pirate program carries itself but on uh, that no that was like the first 10 minutes of basketball that temple has played this season uh didn't so, say that Dame said um, something like yeah, that right Dame, didn't he say like this yeah, Dame said it, and then when Aaron came in, I said it, and he was like, you mean the first 20 minutes? I'm like, okay, we'll go with that, sure. Um, so definitely was not a good first half. And then that second half, guys started getting to the rim, forcing the referees to make a decision uh, in the free throw line. One temple of the game, 26 for 31 from the strike was something we could not fathom happening last season. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, very positive sign for them. 
Yeah, I kind of agree as well. And going off that, Damian Dunn, you know, may not be the flashiest player. He went through, you know, went through some ups and downs this year, but he's so efficient at getting to the line and using his body. He was really fun to watch last night, dropping 22 points. But like Javon said, and Aaron McKee echoed, the first half was really sloppy, and you don't want to look too far forward, but in a couple of days they're going to play Houston. And if they play like that in the first half, it's going to get ugly. But I thought, you know, they managed at the end of the game, they played well, and I think Caleb Battle, you know, 7-14 was a little more efficient. Uh, took was took what was given to him, which he doesn't always do. So I think it was a positive sign to get Caleb Battle and Damian Dunn going, especially in their new roles coming off the bench over the last, you know, two weeks. Yeah, um, I think, John, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday while texting was that first unit just struggles to score. Like, I understand like why they're bringing Dunn and Battle off because you want to get those first five guys uh, consistent minutes. But there are times when if Zach Hicks isn't making a shot, there's nobody on the floor at that time that can consistently score. So, like, it doesn't surprise me that they get off the slow starts when there's three guys in the program that can consistently score. One's rehabbing from an injury and two are coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you throw the two lane game out, which was a bit of just like a weird shoot them out game, they're averaging, they're holding conference opponents to 62 points a game. Um, like they're, they're cutting down on turnovers on eight turnovers last night. They're just kind of playing that. Like, like I don't want to paint the picture that it's all like sunshine and roses. Cause it's not obviously like they're an 11 and nine team, but like at least the way they've been playing since they got to conference play is at least like, okay. Like, yeah, you lost it too late, but like you probably should have beat Memphis and you're five and two in conference. Like, they're at least kind of doing what they are supposed are supposed to do uh, in AAC play. No, 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 Zach kicks me. I was, I, I was Javon. I was actually just going to ask you about about Zach's about Zach kicks. I wanted to ask you guys this and throw this around. I mean, he's he's been up and down. How much of it is like in the Memphis game in the first half? They couldn't. They either couldn't get him open looks or he's not moving well enough without the ball. Then in the second half, he got some open looks, and like most of the team, he just didn't knock them down. How much of it is him not moving well without the ball, and how much of it is them not getting that? You know, he's the best pure shooter. Whether you want to say statistically he is is another thing, but is he not moving well enough without the ball within the flow of the offense, whatever the running, or are they just not finding him, or is it a little bit of both? It's a 50-50 split, but I wasn't even going there with him. I think mm-hmm. last night he made two very critical threes for Temple. Like, he did. He did. He absolutely did. And he rebounds when he's not, when his shot isn't falling, too. And we've talked about yeah, that. Like those well. two threes he made, if he doesn't make those, Temple loses. Like those were the ones that kept them from getting. Yep. You know, sure. And he also had zero points down. against Cincinnati. So, like, yeah. Yeah. Ups and downs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. What um what is I mean what does he need to do what does he need to do better is it looking for a shot more again we've talked about the fact that he needs to be better at putting the ball on the floor and that's nothing that's going to change drastically during this season that's going to have to be a an off season thing whether he gets to that point and turns the corner and that game is a, is another thing but what what does he need to do better is it just demanding the ball more is it what Again, he hit a couple of key threes last night, which you said, or I don't want to overlook that. But when Kyle talks about, rightfully so, that first unit really struggling, and whether that's Aaron just trying to gain more confidence or build more confidence in that sophomore unit, what does he need to do differently? Me and Kyle are going to say the same thing that we've been saying. Put the ball on the deck some, yep. then drop some pin downs, drop some flares. I actually draw up plays for your spot-up shooters. Um, but yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, it's not entirely his fault. Like I, we've talked about this before. We talked about this with Brendan Barry, where like this, like pro the scheme doesn't get uh like spot up shooters that many open shots. But like the fact of the matter is, you're playing 32 minutes a game and you're averaging 1.4 free throw attempts per game. Mm-hmm. Put the ball on the floor. 
good things happen when you put the ball on the floor and you get closer to the rim. Like mm. you, he should have a size advantage against most people that are guarding him. I think that's the next step in his game is mm-hmm. showing the ability to take advantage of that. Yeah. Uh, Damian Dunn, we talked about this earlier, has traditionally played well against DCU, uh, played really well last night, didn't play uh, at ECU in the first game because he was still coming off of the concussion when he took that fall against Maryland Eastern Shore. was asked about that last night, and here's what Damian Dunn said about playing against ECU and why he's motivated. About 22 points tonight, you're now averaging over 27 points against ECU. Is there something about being from that area that makes you kind of play a little bit uh, better against them? Um, you know, it's home. You know, I really grew up like 30 minutes from campus. So, um, you know, just something I really found so personal being with Dan Hoffman until like two weeks before I committed here. So, um, you know, just every time I see him just playing with that little bit of competitive edge and just with a little chip on my shoulder. All right, looking ahead to Houston here, Real obviously. Quick. Real quick. Yeah. I, I, don't, I mean, not to get too far off. I don't think people are appreciating how much better Damian Dunn is than what he was like last year or even two years ago. He's just mm-hmm. better in like every aspect. Mm-hmm. He shoots better. He's more efficient. Mm-hmm. He is getting to the free throw line at will. Like I think he joined Khalif White as the only Temple players that have multiple um, 15 free throw games. Mm-hmm. And he's had two in the last like 10 He's just really becoming like that all-conference level player. It's just I think people, especially some people maybe on our message boards, uh, get a harp on him a little bit because there's times when it looks like he's forcing a shot. But overall, this season, roaring success for Dame Dunn. Mm-hmm. Well, so speaking of Dame, uh, can they afford to bring him? It, let's we'll start with Dame. We know what they're up against against Houston. They're the top team in the country, not just the top team in the conference. They rebound well. They offensive rebound well. They're the best defensive team in the country. It uh, any idiot could tell you that if you get off to a slow start against them, it's done. It's over. They're Houston's just way too good. Does Aaron? And again, there's there's going to be media availability tomorrow. We'll have a chance to talk to to Aaron and maybe a couple of players tomorrow at ten thirty. So we'll. I don't know that Aaron will show his hand before the game, but we will have a, a chance to talk to some players and a coach tomorrow. But does Aaron go into this game with the same starting lineup or do you go into Houston saying, okay, it, it's different with the, the, the deck is stacked against us. We, we, I got to have Damian Don on the floor to, to, to start the game against Houston. Or do you think he just keeps doing what he's done? Uh, that's tough. Cause it seems like, and we talked about yesterday, asked him about the lineup a little bit. And I think Aaron talked about how he likes the lineup defensively. And that's how he kind of likes to start games. But at the same time, like you mentioned, anyone can notice, but Houston is such a good team. If they get on you, if you can't score early, it's not ECU where they don't have a lot of talent where they're not really a, a good team. They're one of the best teams in the nation. So if you start behind early, I don't think this Temple team has enough to come back. So if I'm Aaron, I'm getting away from that mantra that defense, you know, matters more. They're winning the, the way they're you know, playing is allowing them to win games, kind of like Kyle said, where it's just their branded basketball in the AAC. It's working right now. It's not pretty, but it gets the job done. But I just don't think that same style is going to work against Houston. And you have to play your two best players early on. I think they even have a chance in this game. I'll tell you why they can't stick with the same strategy. Temple has built their team to compete with Houston. Like they they very much try to mimic some of Houston's game with the physicality. It just doesn't work out. You can't try to beat the number one team in the country at their own game. Like so, you're you're going to have to put your starters, like your 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 best scorers, out there to start with. All right, I think Sunday, you know, if if I were Aaron McKee, I'd be putting Hasir, Damian, Caleb, uh, Jalil, 
in Oak Pomo out there. And, you know, I, I, I let Zach Hicks come off the bench. I like mm-hmm. Corey Yarkich and Nick Jordan come off the bench. Um, Shane Dizoni probably would need some minutes in that game, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, it, I don't know what Aaron's read on Shane is. It's like one week he'll give him some minutes the next week and go sit down somewhere. Um, I, but I think that would be the lineup I'd put out there Sunday. You can't try to beat Houston at their own game. I was going to ask you guys about Akpomo too, because again, another guy who sees some minutes, doesn't see some minutes, but I, I think all things considered, considering what Emmanuel Akpomo is now, I think he's actually given them some, some quality minutes, especially down at Tulsa. Uh, obviously like again, Walker and Roberts are really tough matchups. They, they can score, they can rebound. They're the, the, the next, you know, Walker's a freshman. Roberts is a more experienced guy, but again, they rebound well. They're physical. They they extend possessions with offensive boards. Do you put Akpomo in there just to try to, again, he's not going to be scoring against them, but just to try to counter them a little bit and be physical? I, I want to harp on what, what Javon just said, but not the way he finished it. Of You don't beat the number one team in the nation right. by trying to play the number one team in the nation's like style right. of play. I don't think you have to care or worry about those things. Like I think if you're like, okay, who's going to match up against Walker? Put Akpomo out there, see if he's going to do it. You're going to lose that. Yeah, because like Walker is better than Emmanuel Pomo. Yeah, I think the way that you have any chance against the one team in the nation is by playing a different style of basketball, and I think it's that same gritty. We're gonna go small. We're gonna go Nick Nick Jordan is a small big. We're gonna bring our two star uh, scoring guards off the bench. We're gonna see what happens. That's the only shot you got. I think if you try to just match up conventionally, you're gonna lose by four, 28 like you did at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. Is kind of my gut opinion. Now we're again. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Jamal. And I'm saying I can't argue against that. I, I like that point. Because um, it's like, end of the day, like, there was two, like, let's go back to last year. There was the first game where they started slow, and then they got together at halftime, which if you're Peyton Manning, you would say halftime adjustments don't don't happen. They don't happen in real life. But then they came back, and they almost won that game. I think that one was the one at Houston, right? Or is that the mm-hmm. one here? That was here? No, they got, they got killed at Houston. The one at Houston, they lost by 28 points. It was yeah. 74 to 46. And they were down at, like, by 40 at one point, weren't they? Sure. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> so, like, I think the way you have a chance is just literally like, look, I think last year's team was built to compete with Temple, uh, with Houston, like physically. Like, I think like you bring in a Sage Tolbert, hoping that he can be like that smaller, like aggressive rebounder. That didn't happen. It's happening now at San Jose State. He's having a really good year. Um, mm-hmm. I think the way you do this is just I hope to get some some hustle defense going on. Um, again, we'll we'll know more. Again, I I like I said earlier, I don't I don't know that. That Aaron would uh, would tip his hand necessarily, but um, you know some of you are probably wondering whether Jamil Reynolds will play when I don't know if Aaron mentioned anything about him last night on Sunday. He just said he still doesn't have a lot of strength in his thumb. Part of me would be surprised if he if he throws Jamil back out there after you know being out since mid December. Uh, of course, if if the, if you have a healthy Jamil Reynolds, he helps you on the road Sunday against. He helps Houston, that but, first unit long term, right? You're adding in one of your consistent scorers, hopefully, to that first unit. Yeah, but um, you know, I'll ask I'll ask Aaron about him tomorrow. We'll see. You know, I I'd be I don't know. Maybe Aaron will say flat out, yeah, he's progressing, but he's not going to play Sunday. Maybe we'll, we'll see. We'll find out more about his status. And just in case anybody was wondering about that, we we don't know definitively. Is there any way other than what we've talked about? You play the style of basketball you need to play, and they just shoot the hell out of the ball. Is there any way Temple wins this game Sunday? Yeah, like you said, they shoot the hell out of the ball. The 20, 25 from Dunn, 25 from Battle, 10 from Jordan, 15 from Hicks. 
seven from White, seven from Miller. That's the only way. Mm-hmm. And that's asking a lot out of your, you know, guys to be able to both drop 25. And maybe, you know, you know, crazier things have happened, but I just don't see a way they pulled this through unless Caleb Battle or Damian Dumb have a career high game. Corey Yonkis goes for another three for five night. Let me ask, before we get to the basketball mailbag, why, why do we ahead. keep cutting off before I can talk? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't really uh, it's the number two scoring defense in the nation, or yeah. number one, number two in field goal percentage and three point percentage. Mm-hmm. If somehow Caleb Battle can shoot over that and goes seven of 14 from three, sure. Mm-hmm. I think this Houston team is the best Houston team that Kelvin Sampson's had. Yeah, really, really good. Yikes. It's a small, small sample size. Again, before we get to the mailbag, and again, it came against DCU. Uh, Are Damian Dunn and Caleb Battle learning to play a little bit better together in terms of when they look for each other, when they look for their shot? Again, doing it against DCU versus doing it on the road against Houston is a huge difference, but is this the best situation for them? Both with them both coming off the bench, even if it's like Aaron having a quick hook where it's like at the 1740 mark. Okay. I've seen enough. Dame get in KB get in. Are they starting? Are they starting to learn how to play better together? I think so. And Jamal can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Aaron said something about the starting line, but the beginning game is almost kind of a system thing. He wants to start it with defense. And then he brings in Don and KB. And I think it's less system, a, a little more free throw when they get in, they don't have to play within that system necessarily. I think, they're thriving more in that role where they can just go in and score and, you know, more as isolation scores than they do have to start when they start the game off. Yeah. I talked to Dame, I want to say Tuesday. Um, and his, his adjustment has been pretty much what I thought, uh, for, for gifted scorers, it's kind of an advantage to be able to come off the bench because you can see how teams are playing you, mm-hmm. uh, or at least, you know, what their defensive scheme is looking like. Are they showing on screens? Are they, coming up high? Are they being aggressive? Are they laid back? Are they conceding different things? And you can see that way better on the bench than you can on the floor. Um, So I think the fact that you're allowing two gifted scorers like that to just sit for the first four minutes and do some in-person scouting before you tell them to go out there and do what they do best, kind of beneficial uh, to those guys. And you're still playing them starters minutes, which keeps them from you know, I guess becoming discontent or whatever you want to call it. It's 2023. It's a different age of athlete. You have to manage egos. So giving them the same minutes despite, give, you know, bringing them off the bench keeps them at ease and at bay. So, mm-hmm. uh, but to answer your question, I will say, yeah, I do think they're learning to play together a mm-hmm. little more. You know. I think if you look back the last two days, sure. I think if you look back to... The Memphis game, like KB didn't have a good game. KB was forcing shots and went one for 10 from three. Like, I I don't know, to be honest. I think Dame's game lends itself. I'll say this. I think Dame's game lends itself more to play with KB than KB's game lends itself to play with Dame. Because, again, at the end of the day, like, you would have a game like last night where halfway through the second uh, half, Dunn had attempted six shots and had 20 points. Like, mm-hmm. he can kind of, like, figure things out like that. KB needs to take shots. He's a volume shooter, and sometimes that – disrupts the flow so i don't think it's a finished product by any stretch yeah i do think that despite the loss i mean obviously this turnovers against memphis killed them as much as anything like aaron said like the the missed shots don't bother me as much because you're gonna have days like that i think that even even in the memphis game yes some of some of kb shots were forced some of them weren't they just were looks that didn't go down i mean i do think he is starting to move the ball better i mean even on the game tying three you know that the assist came from from kb on that one but one of six assists that night. 
for the entire I know season. six <laughs> entire assists in the game, but uh, we, we do have a few basketball mailbag questions. One, this first one from, again, these are, these are from alscoop.com subscribers. If you haven't subscribed yet, uh, there's good content on the message boards. That's where we take our mailbag questions from. This first one is from the screen name Esther Boyer. Part of this is basketball related. Part of this is just Esther Boyer being upset with the temple athletic department here. Um, the question here. Why is the athletic department engagement so dreadful? There has to be a tangible reason. The coaches show starts in late January. The season promotion uh, list isn't released until uh, into the conference schedule. They are selling merchandise for extinct temple sports in the bookstore. You can't find a temple basketball shirt anywhere. Season tickets, uh, season ticket requests were so poorly handled. What is going on? Uh, A lot to get to there. I don't know why they just, yes. And in case you missed it, Temple is debuting uh, a coach's show with Aaron McKee, uh, just like they had with Stan Drayton. Why they are starting it in the middle of the season, no clue. Uh, I, I I don't know. It's a good question. Sure, if you're going to do a coach's show, why not start it in November when the season starts? I honestly don't know. Um, as for the bookstore stuff, we, we actually had another subscriber uh, chime in with some with some good like actual insightful information in terms of like Nike versus the other brands and w- why they have what they have and don't have and how yeah part of it is sort of incumbent upon the, the Temple fan base to like buy the product to create demand for it but I don't know that's a common complaint like why do they have this gear as opposed to that gear I I, I, I don't know Kyle anything Caden no I mean, I, I, I'm miffed about the coaches show. That's a question for, for Arthur Johnson to to ask I, or to answer. Excuse me. I, I honestly don't know. Yeah. I'm not too worried about the bookstore. I mean, I understand it's a, it's a bad look and it's, it's actually kind of humorous when you see temple baseball shirts, considering that they shut the program down a decade ago. There's a club um, team, but I don't know. Yeah. Okay. There's not an esports uh, shirt. <laughs> down there. You don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if that one can fall directly on the athletic department as much. But yeah, like the lack of communication about to have your bring your kids to layup line day and dollar dog night and Hooters birthday has not been not being advertised until right now is uh, suboptimal. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I I I think we've made our opinions known on some some aspects, especially Javon. Javon has not been uh, has not been quiet about some of his gripes. Yeah, no. Um, you you mentioned something. Uh, can we like just talk about the fact that esports are not sports? You know, like scratching yourself and playing two K all day isn't a sport. I'm sorry. That's well. That's, I, no, so I would agree with like. I mean, I think I tend to agree entirely. But like, if you wanted to make the argument that it was, I don't think you would say like two K is the. The thing I think like some like the more quick twitchier stuff that requires hand-eye coordination is probably what they say. Like when you're looking at like a Call of Duty, a good or... quick twitch reference when not talking about defensive backs. That's interesting. Um, or edge rushers. Yeah, I mean, I think you can make it like people make an argument stuff like that. Because like, because what's the difference between that and like, I don't know, golf, tennis, like things that are considered sports that aren't physical, right? But I tend to agree. Mm-hmm. You're sitting down with a controller in your hand, just like I don't think NASCAR is a sport. You're driving, okay. I don't care how hot it is in that car. I don't care how quick you have to turn. You're driving. It's not a sport. Because you're not, because you're not, I mean, I think they get like the shit kicked out of them in NASCAR. Like the physical exertion of like this 120 degree uh, carpet, whatever, cockpit is an exertion. (laughs) 
That's more of a sport than esports, though. Yeah. yeah. Javon is looking to create some friction between the scoop staff and our dedicated. They're going to be started on badminton. Just go down the line of all these. Hey, no, badminton's a sport. Tennis is a sport. <laughs> Golf is a sport. Swimming, what cheerleading. They're what about pickleball? Okay, so like freshen me up on what exactly pickleball is because I'm still confused. A mix of what would it be like a mix of badminton and and ping pong and I don't know. The one that mentioned it, don't don't go for us for, for the <laughs> Like okay, having my not, having so, my um, voice trail off like, oh, what were you saying? <laughs> uh, okay, so I do think there's some sports where they classify as sports, but the players don't classify necessarily. What okay? Standard. What about like these are literally Olympic sports? So what mm-hmm. about like archery and and shooting? Sports, but they aren't athletes. But it's the same. Okay, so I think you could apply that to esports then. It's the same no, concept, I don't think right? Need- archery is the exact same thing as somebody playing a video game. Like as far as just like the skills involved in it, it's aiming and it's okay. So it's not better. a sport. All right, I'll go with you then. Not a sport. Well, the Olympics say otherwise. Now they gotta like do some running and then do a barrel roll, then get up and fire. You know, then I'll call that a sport. You know. Mm. Anyway, can I do what these people do? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make it a sport. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I tend to agree, but if I wanted to make the argument, I would say that. Um, Gleb, just double checking the message board here to see if we have any. Uh, we got a couple more mailbag questions to get to on the the basket. Oh, we got a couple more that came in. Um, uh, on the basketball board here, but uh, we'll get to these next few here. Temple J is the next uh question, next screen name here. It seems a foregone conclusion that Damian Dunn will not be coming back. It, 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 it seems a foregone conclusion that Damian Dunn will not be coming back for a senior season. If he leaves for some professional career, who will fill the void of the go-to score? I do not see a dynamic score on next year's roster. Any insight? Um, well, I mean, I know that that Damien just had a kid, his son Nolan. I, I talked to Dame about that a couple weeks ago before the Tulane game. Uh, as I understand it, his girlfriend and his son are in North Carolina. I did did not talk to Damien about whether or not he's coming back, but I, I'm sure that that's going to play into his decision. Um, We'll we'll see if he doesn't come back. Who fills the the go to void on the roster? I mean, the the easy answer is they they'd have to hit the transfer portal hard. You'd need a you'd need an impact guy. Yes, you hope that Isaiah Miller, Zach Hicks, Nick Jordan, Shane Dazoni, even like a, I'm not saying he's going to make this much of a leap, but like guys like Deuce Roberts, like you, all these guys have to make a progression. But they they would have to hit the portal for an impact guy. Yeah, they, they got to do the same thing they did with Caleb Battle. Like just. Right. Go to mm-hmm. some Big East or Mountain West school that has a good score that just doesn't get enough minutes and bring them in. Yeah, the same thing they did with Jamil Reynolds, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they've had success with that. And I, I'm not ready to uh, close the book on Shane Dazoni. I mean, I think we've seen in the past there's people that come in, they just can't cover out. We're like, look, it was always going to be hard for Shane Dazoni to take minutes from Caleb Battle and Damian Dunn, right? I mean, we saw it with uh, Dalton Pepper when he came over from West Virginia. He barely played his first year. The second year, he's like a 17-point a game guy. I'm not saying he's changed his own. He's going to average 17 points a game, but I think he'll be able to carve out a role next year. But yeah, I agree. Regardless, even if Damian Dunn stays, April, May, June is a crucial stretch for Temple basketball because they have to hit the transfer portal. Yeah. Yeah, Had to get some guys who can transfer up too, you know, maybe some Northeast Conference guys or something like that. If I could wave my wand and just take somebody, there's somebody in Hawk Hill that I would appreciate being a Temple named Eric Reynolds. If he wants to come down to the Temple, he's having a hell of a year. Yeah, he is. He is. Um, 
Speaking of looking ahead to transfers and uh, what coach is going to be around and not around, it, it wouldn't be a week on the scoop if somebody wasn't wondering about Aaron McKee's job status. There's a mailbag question here. Villanova fan 35. Who is Temple's coach next season? I, I understand why people speculate about this. People aren't going to, if you're frustrated with the state of the program right now, I get it. If you're asking me right now, again, just to regroup, if you haven't listened to this podcast before, if you're unaware, Aaron McKee is in the fourth year of a five-year deal. So again, I would have to imagine that either way, they're going to make a decision on whether they you know, mutually agree to part ways or extend them. I get that the Wagner loss was a killer. Maryland Eastern Shore is a killer. As of now, if you're asking me this question on, on January 19th, Aaron McKee is coming back next year. They're five and two, second place in the conference. Do they have bigger aspirations than that? Absolutely. That's if you're asking me, I, I think he's back next year. I agree. I think they're about to go through a stretch of really tough basketball, though, which sure. is the way the schedule Absolutely. is. So yep. the, how you respond to that tough stretch might determine that. If they lose yep. like four of their next five and all of a sudden they're 14 and 14, and then the team doesn't bounce back from that and they finish at 15 and 16 or whatever, whatever it might be, I forget mm -hmm. my numbers, then maybe we're having a different conversation. Yep. But if they bounce back from that and they finish as the number four, number five team in the conference, he's probably back. Mm -hmm. I, I I I didn't know we had uh, Villanova fans on our message boards. Thanks for subscribing. Um, that guy's that name's been around for a while. Yeah, that, that that subscriber takes a lot of heat for their uh, for their screen name. But <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, uh, if they could do a favor and like tell us their impressions of Neptune, because I'm very interested to see like what Villanova fans think of Neptune. Not very favorable right now. Not super high. Um, I do think our buddy Jeff Nyberg is a Temple grad and uh, is working for the Inquirer now. He's covering some uh, covering gambling. He's basically their their Nova beat writer, and, and Mike Jensen's leaned in there too. I think Jeff's done some really good coverage of Jeff's that team. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, they no, it's not going. Mike Jensen is typically likes trying to be like, let's wait and see. And he's just, he wrote something about that recently about Kyle Neptune, where I guess the fan base there was was booing his substitution patterns and stuff like that, but. Yeah, obviously he doesn't have a healthy Justin Moore, but yeah, I mean, and where where Temple's concerned too. Unfortunately for Temple, that that win doesn't do much for him anymore. Doesn't matter. It, it yeah. doesn't, if the season had gone the better I way, know. it would have happened. Yeah, yeah. Not to make this a Villanova podcast, but maybe stop starting Arch Diakono. Yeah, maybe that's one of them. Maybe he realize he's not his brother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what else do we have on the basketball board here? Um, Dblaze seventy five. When Arthur Johnson took the AD job, I recall he went on a quote listening tour or something described similarly to talk and learn about each of Temple's sports teams. Since then, has there been any communication from Johnson on a plan or discussion with fans and alumni about how uh, or what he will do to improve Temple athletics? Um, I don't know what Arthur has told donors. I mean, I know they have like a, a newsletter that goes out to fans. I don't know that Arthur has like laid out any sort of plan or strategic plan that they put on their website or anything that he's talked about when he talks to donors. I don't know if you guys have any additional insight here, but I don't know. Arthur no. Johnson is very uh, protected from the media. So um, I will say that that, list, that listening tour sparked results. I mean, you fired Rod Carey, you, you let your uh, baker go on from gymnastics. You mm -hmm. fired Tanya Cardoza. Like there was, there was a lot of 
things that, gone. A lot of things that came out of that listening tour, but since then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's uh, shift our attention to this Temple football team. Uh, we have anticipated a lot of roster movement. There's been a lot of roster movement with the January enrollees, the roster additions, the departures. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, that in the mailbag as well. Um, they've got a new cornerbacks coach. Uh, Kyle wrote a little bit about him uh, on the site um, with Jules Montanari leaving. And that's, you know, on one hand, tough blow for them because he he heads to ECU. I don't, I guess he's getting a, a promotion there. Otherwise it would seem like a lateral move in terms of, um, you know, moving in the league. Um, but, you know, they, they, you know, they lose some recruiting ties in, in Florida and Jules had done a good job recruiting down there, but um, Arkansas's cornerbacks coach, Dominique Bowman is going to be uh, his replacement. So he's a, a younger guy, 37 years old, and he's, he's brought some good players into, into that program. What, what do you guys make of this? Again, it's, par for the course, you know, it, it, around signing day, there really wasn't a lot of uh, movement in terms of, of coaches. And then right after signing day, you kind of keep your eye out and say, okay, yep. is this guy going to leave? Because sometimes they have this silent agreement where you know, with their next school, they say, let me get, let me get these guys signed and committed so I can follow through on what I promised to the other school. But yeah, they don't, um, don't want to burn bridges on their way out because yeah. like there have definitely been coaches that burn bridges on their way out and taking kids with them that were originally verbally committed to temple. Um, what are we talking about? It could be honestly, it could be a lot of people. Yeah, I, know. I know, but I mean, I, I don't, it, it, I think he did get like passing game coordinator or whatever. He's Carolina, like whatever. Yeah. Time, I would imagine fine. there's, even I mean, if we he, don't know his exact salary, even but. if he didn't, I'm not sure if it's necessary. I mean, it's a, a small move. I don't know if it's a, a lateral move. I think East Carolina is in a better spot right now than Temple is. I mean, they've gone back-to-back bowl games. Mike Houston is sure. still there. You're yeah. probably hoping you latch on before Mike Houston goes wherever. Jules Montnar's only connection to Temple was Everett Withers. Right. And Everett Withers is gone. Jules Montnar is now on his sixth job in six years. Mm-hmm. Like the definition of like a hired gun assistant coach. Yeah. As for the actual addition of Bowman, uh, I mean, he, he was let go by Arkansas, but that's also because the, the defensive coordinator that hired him uh, is now the head coach at UNLV. Uh, Barry Odom, Barry Odom, who took the Arkansas job prior that he took the Arkansas, not the Arkansas, he took the Missouri job that Matt Rule turned down. So full circle. Um, I mean, he seems like a, a up and coming cornerback. He seems like exactly what you want. I don't know if he has the Florida connections that you would like that Montanar had, but he definitely has like those Tennessee Southern connections. Um, he's from mm-hmm. Memphis, so he, he has a reputation as a good recruiter. I think uh, I think I put in the article he had two four stars and two high three stars committed to Arkansas. Um, yeah, Jalen Braxton, TJ Metcalf, RJ Johnson, Dallas. TJ Metcalf's life must have been a little rough for the last like six years. Like DJ, like TK, TK. Yeah. You're yeah. right there. But you're not DK Metcalf. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Bowman's supposed to be like next in line for a defensive coordinator job. Mm-hmm. One or two more. Yeah, he seems to be like Kyle said, even though he was like, oh, he's he's fairly highly regarded. So like, things circle. like that. And like, I know, like, I'm not by no means this coming at Javon. Things like that kind of irk me because, like, this dude was in the FCS like 24 months ago. So, mm-hmm. like, who's making that decision? Like, you know what? He's the next in line to be a defensive coordinator. Like, I don't know. It, it, it seems to be the way these, you know, football especially works, right? They like just yeah. choose who the next young guy is. Uh, and yeah. it's, it's circles that we aren't in. So we just sure. don't. Was it on that? 
Javon, you, I think you quote tweeted like the big game boomer account, right? You're like, I think you said and it was funny. It was conversational. But it was good. It was like, obviously this is just some guy's opinion, but <laughs> Dominique Bowman seems to be pretty highly regarded because he had him on a, on a list. Right. Dayton over here was trying to make it seem like I was being a butthole. I'm like, no, like it's just, that's what that is. Just some guy's list. I'm not mm-hmm. taking a shot at the dude or anything. It's just mm-hmm. what it is. If I was like an up and coming assistant coach, because like a lot of those lists are just complete bullshit, right? Like the uh, like the top 35 under 35 is literally just like an SID or a coach or whatever, like pushing for one of their guys to be on there. If I was like 28 year old tight ends coach Kyle Gauss, I'd be running a fake Twitter account. Where I had like, oh, by the way, like the number seven tight end coach in the nation is Kyle Gauss. Like, how cool. Like, you can just generate buzz on your own. Uh, uh, Bowman did follow me back on Twitter after. Yeah. Okay, so, follow me. I, I guess. Humble brag. Yeah, the fact that he's following us might be a legitimate indicator of, you know, might not be a Sam Dorsett type of situation. Well, Sam Dorsett follows me on Twitter too, so you never know. <laughs> these, these things happen. Um. Well, uh, and again, we're, we're speaking of Sam Dorsett, obviously, like that. Well, we I, did we talk about this last week? I can't remember. Like, obviously, yeah, we mentioned it. Yeah, Kyle broke the news that Sam Dorsett was coming to Temple as its running backs coach. Uh, Kyle was the first to report that. Now, Sam Dorsett, yeah, Javon was able to confirm that he is not going to be coming to Temple. Um, and to answer that question, this stuff happens sometimes. I don't know where I we do we know anything about where Sam Dorsett is. I don't think there's been any additional news about. I I don't know. All I will say is I he was officially in like Temple's like work chart directory. Like he was hired, and yeah. now he ain't. Yeah. So I don't. Oh, no, I don't I just know. The news I was sitting at home on the couch watching some yeah. college games. That's it. I have like an off-air theory that I will not put on the podcast. No, no I mean, I it, it could be sometimes when these things happen. And this happened a lot. There were a lot of guys when a, a different time different time in college football, different time in Temple's program. I mean, Al Golden had some problems like this, where like he was trying to assemble his first and second staff since first couple of years. There were a lot of guys that he hired and then guys took the Temple job on his staff and then got a better offer somewhere else. I, I don't know. Absolutely positively don't know if that's the case with, with Dorsett. We'll see, but um, you know, they're still looking for um, you know, still looking for uh, a running backs coach there. And then, of course, a lot of uh, a good thing for the program. A lot of uh, January mid-year enrollees. We got the the, the complete list on uh, on the football board that the Kyle put together for us. But a lot of guys that that you want in the program getting getting spring reps, including you know your your, your young quarterback and Tyler Douglas, who you know I mean I don't think he's going to beat out EJ Warner for the starting job, but a guy that that you'd want in there, a guy like Jaquez Smith. Real, real quick. Just to get back to like, as soon as I leave this podcast, what's that? I was gonna say, as soon as I leave this podcast, I'm going to class with Camargo Cox and Kyle Williams, so they're in there too. They brought in a good amount of guys, yeah. Just speaking of Jaquest Smith makes me think about this. I know class are you in with a true freshman in like his first week of college? Uh, Tupac Shakur and the Hip Hop Revolution. There you go. I've heard amazing, amazing, amazing things about that class. You have to tell me how it is. Um. But, but talking about the Florida recruiting ties thing, yes, Jules was on Florida staff, but I, I don't want to undersell the like the job that they did as a staff recruiting down there. Like, you know, Chris Wiesehan was helping to close the deal on guys like Jaquest Smith. So it's not like with Jules leaving that, yeah, again, I mean, it, it's a loss, but they're not going to stop recruiting down there and stop offering down there. So I just yeah. wanted to. And even the Florida transfer is like Wilcoxon's primary recruiter was Marvin Klesador. 
Yeah. Like, I think that Montenar got them in the, the door, but in the end, like the position coaches still have to close. Yeah. Um, so, um, I mean, we could kind of just we jump another, right into the, we got another mailbag question. Yeah. When we could jump right into the mailbag on this, because, uh, some of these questions, um, you know, sort of like set the agenda for what we would want to, uh, talk about there again with a lot of the, a lot of the guys coming in as mid-year enrollees. And then of course, a lot of the guys that are leaving, via the transfer portal. Again, uh, I think Kyle mentioned on, on last week's podcast that you want to keep an eye on this because even though we hadn't heard officially about these guys putting their names in the portal, a lot of these guys, and understandably so, want to wait until they're enrolled for the spring semester so they can finish out the spring semester at Temple and then you know pick their, their next location so they can finish out the school year. And that ended up happening. You know, We saw it. it we're kind of anticipating that, that Trey Blair – might leave um the the next mailbag question here this one too from dblay 75 any of the recent departures to the portal at least mildly surprising any update on who the new running backs coach from uh any update on why the new running backs coach from monmouth is no longer on the team any possible replacements we talked partially about that i can't say we have any solid leads on who the new running backs coach is going to be but any of the departures mildly surprising um i think we were kind of Talking about this in our like in our group chat, I'd maybe balance on Kamara a little surprising because he was starting to um starting to get a, bit, a little bit more playing time. I know that people are gonna be upset that Kobe Wilson is leaving, given the fact that he had a late Georgia offer. My my a little surprising, but and before I answer this and get it out of the way for you guys, I, I think it's clear that it's partially surprising, but not because you can see what DJ Elliott is looking for. Now Kamara had some length to him. Kobe Wilson, not so much. I mean, they, they just added a couple more guys in this class, a couple more guys in the portal. I think they're looking for like guys with more length and athleticism. So, you know, maybe these guys are seeing, okay, maybe I'm going to be a backup, but not get the snaps that I wanted. So it's a little surprising, but not entirely surprising. I would say. Kaden, what do you think? Yeah, I'm kind of on board with uh, John where I don't think it's as surprising. You look at the linebacker position, even if Kobe Wilson wanted to get snapped six near, it's not going to happen. Maybe it's a positive sign that it's that Jordan McGee's definitely returning. You'll have him back. Jacob Hollins, who I thought flashed throughout the year, but also you know went through some injuries, I think, at some point, missed some games. I think that linebacker position was too tough for Kobe Wilson to crack. I think his first couple of years here, he flashed at times, but he never really put it together where he seemed like the guy that got an offer at Georgia at one point. Yeah. I mean, I think with him, it's just, yeah, you were going to be behind like three guys, like Jacob Collins, Jordan McGee, Yvonne Rigby for two spots. And if you're a fourth year junior, you're like, crap. I probably, I have like 24 college football games left. I got to go somewhere. I'm like guaranteed to start. Uh, the one that really like, like the one that surprised me, I guess, would be Kamara because the other ones you can point to, like, okay, Kobe Wilson needs to find more snaps somewhere. Jalen Satchel, like, defensive linemen usually transfer up just because, like, it's a position that, like, is harder to recruit and, like, he has flashed at times. He started the first, you know, five, six games before losing that spot. Kamara, it's like you were starting to play more, but you hadn't played enough to go up a level yet. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't have film to be like, okay, I'm going to Purdue. I'm going to Rutgers. I'm going to Maryland. Like he's probably going to go down a level, which doesn't make that much sense to me, but that's luck to him. I mean, now they have five open scholarship spots when before a week ago, they were at five over. So mm-hmm. it was a necessary thing. Uh, but all the ones that came out in the last couple of days 
Um, yeah, none of them particularly surprised me. Even Kobe Wilson was like kind of on my radar, but Trey Blair, I've been waiting on for like two months. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, who you tell? <laughs> any any additional <laughs> any additional insight other than that, Javon? Um, uh, another football mailbag uh, question here to to uh, to close things out. And again, we'll, we'll give you following that some uh, uh, something to look at for some updated uh, upcoming coverage that's going to be coming your way for an Al Scoop subscriber. But now this last mailbag question to close things out here comes from Wayne Al. The question from Wayne Al is: This might be fluid depending upon the growth of the young players come spring ball. But what positions do you think the coaches will target with the additional scholarships available? Most pressing, I would think, would be a backup quarterback, which would be tough knowing EJ is pretty much a locked start. And another defensive tackle with Kobe Wilson leaving would think depth at linebacker would also be a focus. Again, this is going to be an ongoing conversation. And again, we'll, you know, another round of this, like we've talked about before, uh, will come when spring ball wraps up because the 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 portal stuff is not done. The roster movement is is not done, but most pressing need in the portal. We've talked about this before. What do you guys think at, at this juncture now in January? Uh, position that uses all 10 fingers pretty consistently. I think another pass catcher. Uh, if you got Does any position five, not use 10 fingers? <laughs> well, 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 yeah, that's probably a bad way to work. <laughs> There's five open scholarships, right? Right. I think one of those has to be on the next Adonica Sanders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And let's be clear. I mean, five is right now. He said, like John said, it's probably going to be more movement after the spring. So there should be some flexibility. I would agree. Wide receiver. I think a lot of the other positions are you're looking for like that next wave. Quarterback, you're looking for like a, somebody after EJ Warner. Tight end, you're looking for somebody after David Martin Robinson, Jordan Smith. Uh, I still think I still think they need to like plug in a left tackle somewhere. Uh, I yeah. know they just offered um, Penn's left tackle, but he's also on an official visit to Stanford this weekend. So that might be a little tough. They need to find another offensive lineman. Yeah, and unless they... Oh, go ahead, Caden. Sorry. I was going to go kind of class point where the offensive line, you know, they brought in some freshmen in this class, but unless you're expecting them to be the next Adam Klein, Isaac Moore, and play early, you really don't have anyone proven. Victor Stofel, I thought, flashed on the offensive line at times last year, but the interior offensive line also, I still think, is relatively weak. So I don't think they have enough veteran experience or guys that have proven that they can be consistent starters really on this offensive line coming back next year. Yeah, and unless you're... Really, and they might be. I mean, that I mean, obviously, who are they not high on if they're not signing them? But unless you think that, and maybe he can, unless like you're really, really high if you're Chris Weezy on Diego Barajas and he comes in and you say, That's my starting left tackle, and he might be. We'll see. The spring will tell us a lot. I would agree that they're probably going to need uh, some help there on the line. Kyle and I talked about this last week, you know, um, you know, to, to, that, to that point there in terms of uh, Wayne Al's question, maybe a backup quarterback. Yeah, EJ's your EJ's your starter until proven otherwise. They like Tyler Douglas, and Tyler will get some important snaps as a as a mid year enrollee. And and Tyler was coached by um, not only by a good coach at Don Klein at Ocean Township, but he works with Tony Rocopi and is kind of part of that whole group. So he's uh, should be healthy by now with his shoulder. But uh, like Kyle mentioned last week, I think the trick will be: can you bring in a quarterback where you say to him? On one hand, and we're this is a theoretical conversation. Yeah, yeah, you can compete, but you really kind of need a guy for for depth, a guy that can that could step in that has some experience to back up EJ. Where you don't want to either you've got some flexibility where you could play Tyler Douglas a little bit if you get into some blowouts either way, but otherwise you don't really want to burn his red shirt. Can they get a a backup quarterback that would fit that description? I, that's 
that'll be a challenge. Yeah, they need an Alex Moran from Blue Mountain State. They just need a quarterback. <laughs> guy's supposed to come party, man. They just need a guy who's patient with being quarterback number two. And Alex Moran eventually becomes QB1, though. Yeah. So, <laughs> you never know. I will say, just to kind of put like a bow on this, is I think a lot of people that maybe aren't as plugged in might see this and be like, holy crap, look at all these people that left and blah, 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 and they have so many holes to fill. I kind of want to hammer home that this is not the same as like the Rod Carey exoduses. This was no. very much like we knew for the last year that – this was probably going to be the offseason where you saw a lot of roster turnover. Like you had a full year in the system now. Who fits? Who doesn't fit? Who meshes with the the staff? Who doesn't? So I'm not surprised by the, what, 17 or 18 scholarship guys that are gone now. No, and you also don't have the outside looking in perspective of – uh, look, I mean, and it wasn't it was the worst kept secret, depending on what what former players were sharing and or retweeting or liking on social media. They, there doesn't seem to be that that perception from the outside looking in of like even guys like like PJ and Sean and, you know, and obviously like guys like Hassan Reddick, you know, was talking to hopefully we'll get Colin Thompson on soon for another episode, just finished out another season with the Panthers. I mean, like he was just just catching up with him earlier this week and uh, the perception from former players seems to be that they, they like what Stan Drayton is doing. Obviously they have to keep winning. They have to keep proving themselves. They got to do better than three and nine, but uh, I think that's great context from Kyle. This is not, you're going to see roster movement, but it's not like guys leaving guys, dropping hints, guys, subtweeting all sorts of stuff. I don't think it's anywhere near the same thing. Uh, Before we let you guys go again, um, just wanted to give you a heads up on some upcoming coverage so you can, obviously the 2023 recruiting is not done. We've been talking about that over the last few minutes where you're going to see some more roster movement, some portal additions, but the staff is, is now on to some 2024 offers. They have a junior day coming up January 29th. And, uh, again, if you have not subscribed to Al Scoop, now would be a good time. We've got, uh, all our recruiting coverage is typically subscriber only, uh, stuff. So you can check that out. Max Dinnenberg is going to be talking to Samari McCoy, one of the offensive, uh, offensive and defensive linemen at Beaver Falls High School. The guy's coming in for junior day. Liam Gianelli is going to be talking to, uh, uh, Jackson, uh, Whitaker, a tight end and defensive end from Shore Regional in Jersey. And then, uh, also should be talking to Luke Sheehan, a quarterback up at Middletown North, another Jersey school, uh, Luke, again, another one of those quarterbacks that's that's working out with Tony Rocopi, who, again, has worked on guys like Kenny Pickett and Tyler Douglas. So got some upcoming uh, football recruiting coverage. So even though it's only January, uh, you'll see plenty of recruiting content on the site as well. So guys, any closing thoughts before we close out episode 24? Go Birds. Agreed. Other than Javon being excited about the departure of Greg Roman. They said Lamar's gonna be a part of the OC hiring, so maybe you'll be happy. Hey, whatever. It's not, it's, look, it's not that far of a commute from Baltimore to, to DC, so he can probably still like be in on the OC meetings while he's playing for the Commanders. Mm. <laughs> Javon, how would you feel about that? At the risk of extending this podcast by another twenty-five minutes, I, I just no, because I gotta get out of here soon. I just want to know what I did to Kyle. To deserve that, I, I really oh, <laughs> by all that's nothing. <laughs> that's nothing. You have Lamar has made himself a pretty easy target for shots like that over the last couple of weeks, especially after what's his name? Um, who was wide receiver that like they just signed three weeks ago that took shots at him? Uh, some one of his teammates was very pissed that he wasn't playing in the playoffs. Oh, Sammy Watkins, that yeah, Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins was like, he has like he Hall of Fame potential. 
He was he said like I don't know the extent to his injury. I'm just being selfish here because I think we can win a Super Bowl. I think he kind of questioned Lamar's uh, not not work ethic, but like commitment to the team. With like everyone you can kind of muscle through this, and you're everyone not. else has defended him. And RG three got him on TV and let the world know that he has spoken to Lamar and several people within the Ravens organization, and there is nothing wrong. Okay, so. <laughs> You know, let's keep <laughs> on running. next okay. week's episode of Inside <laughs> the Ravens with Javon Edmonds. Let's keep running, you know, with the narratives. It's okay. It's easy to hate on El Boogie, you know, the most talented. <laughs> oh, I, I'm not hating on him because I, I don't, don't care. I'm not a Ravens fan. I love, I, just, I just love the entertainment. Yeah. No, no, no. Not y'all. I'm just saying the whole world out there. You know, I'm just, I'm just be quiet for the off season. I just think if there's any franchise that like sold its soul for a Super Bowl, it might be the Ravens. <laughs> since then, it's been there's been some some stuff. And it's not that they sold their souls. It's just Harbaugh is a glorified babysitter who doesn't get called out enough. Well, if you had the fires offensive coordinator. Like I said, on next week's episode of Inside the Ravens, we'll have, uh, have more. So anyway, thank you all for uh, joining us for another episode of The Scoop. Stay happy, healthy, and uh, we will talk to you next